What's good, people? It's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of The Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at The Hybrid Club, and you know where to find me at C Says, C E A S E S A Y S. So, um, we're going to do this once. We're going to talk about this sporting game once, and we are never going to speak about it again. Um, on this episode, we're going to talk about the sporting second leg, and then we'll do a quick Palace preview. Um, yeah, this is one of those things where I am really trying to take this game, take this result, put it into a black box, lock it away for it never to be seen or heard of again. Genuinely, probably after this week, anyone who tries to talk to me about this game, my response is going to be, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't remember it. Don't recollect it. I certainly wasn't in the in, in, in at the ground. I certainly wasn't in the stands. I just certainly... Didn't see anything happen with my own eyes. Absolutely not. No, no, no. That 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 level of trauma gets buried quite deep. And I am I'm being melodramatic. I I I wouldn't go so far as to say trauma, but it's getting buried in my subconscious like trauma because um, quite frankly, I am sick to death of the Europa League. Absolutely sick of it. Don't get me wrong. Didn't want to lose. Didn't want to go out. Want to win it. But I'm sick of it. Sick of the dumb music, sick of the rubbish team, sick of the fact that it brings you down to its level. You don't, your performances don't, um, you know, your performances don't jump a level because you're playing teams you should beat. Your performances drop. They bring you down to their level. It's disgusting and I hate it. So I will talk about this game and then we're done. Um, and of course, the game I'm talking about is the second leg of the European League fixture against Sporting CP or Sporting Lisbon, as they don't like to be called and henceforth will be referred to for the duration of this podcast. Now, both us and Sporting um, it went into this fixture off the back of 3-0 wins over the weekend. Uh, so both teams going into it in good form, good confidence. First leg ended 2-2, of course, um, but the scoreline could have been genuinely anything because it was a bit of a, a health-skelter game. Um now, of course, the winner of this fixture would go on to the quarterfinal of the Europa League and, you know, go one step closer to um, the possibility of winning some European silverware, which is a big thing for any club. I don't care who you are. You know, even the mighty Real Madrid defined themselves by their European silverware. So I don't care whether it's the Champions League, the Europa League. Mm, I do kind of care if it's the Conference League. But European silverware is important. Let's not pretend it's not Um before the game, it was it was sort of worst case scenario um, with, you know, if before the game, if you'd spoken about worst case scenario, you probably would have said key players getting injured, extra time, losing on penalties, or just getting absolutely battered. Well, the good news is we didn't get battered. But the bad news is we pretty much rolled a snake eyes and the casino walked away with all our money. You know the cardinal rule of these things. The house always wins. And by house, I mean the disappointing home of European results that we have collected and found ourselves in over the years. So I'm not going to pretend this doesn't hurt or that it doesn't sting more and more accurately. But it's more the way it happened than the going out itself, I think. At some point, we probably will need to have a conversation about Arteta's European record. But I think it's more of a... I'm I'm not as salty about that as I've seen some people um, are because the vast majority of teams who go into a European competition are not going to win it. Um, so when you think of it like that, it's a cup competition. So there's a lot more variance than you get in a in sort of a 38 game league um, competition. But also, um, I just think that plenty of teams go into a, a European competition favourites and don't do it. Man City have probably gone into the Champions League favourites for years and they've still not won it. PSG gone into Champions League, one of the favourites, still not won it. Um, so as disappointed as I am with the result, um, kind of like my earlier sentiment, my issue with Arteta isn't so much how disappointing his Euro European record is. It's probably the more the way he's gone out of European competition since he's been Arsenal manager. But that is a conversation for another time, I think. Um, now, of course, it is disappointing to lose, you know, um, any game, particularly a European game, particularly a European knockout game. Um, 
it's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to lose on penalties. That's always a bit rough. And it was, of course, the first ever penalty shooter out the Emirates. So to lose that way is very much a bit of a gut punch. Um, I will say, though, being there at the ground, it, even before the game, like Phil Collins, there was something in the air that night. Rainy night, roof covering caved in, supporters getting drenched. Bit of a prophetic fallacy, I think. Um, Pre-game, I was going around the stadium, you know, soaking in the atmosphere, having a few drinks, meeting people, chatting people, that kind of thing. Um, And then saw the lineup announced and saw Jesus was starting. And genuinely, I was shocked. Obviously, we know he's come back um, to, to, to fitness, but I didn't expect him to start a game until after the international break. I thought maybe, you know, he might come off the bench in this game, maybe have a chance of starting against Palace on the weekend, but likely again come off the bench until... After the Sasha break, so seeing him start, I thought was really promising. Um, particularly because if he is starting, it means it really is more a case of just him getting minutes and building confidence. It's not a case that we're having to manage the injury anymore. He's back to full fitness, and it is just how does he feel, um, which is great. Equally, you know, I'm I'm not used to seeing his name on the you know the team sheet for the starting eleven because we haven't seen that since November. So it was just a shock to the system to say, oh, shit, Jesus is fit enough to start. Okay, we're good to go. Um, so it was great news. Now, we know, of course, he only played 45 minutes and then was subbed off for Trossard at halftime, but still really good to see um, and just shows how far he's progressed from his injury. Um, what I will say is that during the game, he looked sharp. Like, of course, technically gifted, as you'd, as you'd expect. He genuinely looks like he just needs minutes and then he'll be back to his best. Um Thankfully, he'll now have time to recover in between games and we'll be able to give him important minutes in the run-in without having to worry about how to manage those minutes. It's pretty straightforward from here how he manages minutes. He plays, um, you know, anywhere between 45 to 60 minutes against Palace, international break, trains, comes back, and he's probably pretty much ready to go for Leeds. So, fingers crossed. Um, but, yeah, start of the game... Mm. Went from bad to worse. Um, so first of all, there was the Tomiyasu injury. Um, looked like he, you know, I don't know what that was. He sort of spun around, caught his foot in the turf. Looked like he twisted his knee. Um, looked really, really bad. Bowler accounts left the stadium on crutches. So Ben White comes on and he goes off and that's within nine minutes. And I feel bad for him because he's had a really, really rough season, actually. Um, he had a first great, he had a great first half of last season. You know, by that point, very much up for player of the season, gets injured, comes back. He basically looks perennially rusty, like he's, you know, perennially coming back to, to, to fitness. Um, has And now he, you know, has another long layoff. And he's got to be wondering about his sort of long-term place at this club because we are on an upward trajectory and we're waiting for no one. And much like the conversation with Smith Rowe, um, players have to ask themselves whether they can stay fit and contribute in the long term to this project and players who deem themselves unable to stay fit for long, whether it be, you know, pure accident in whether it be a pure accident in terms of just impact injuries and that kind of thing, or whether it be long standing, you know, muscle injuries, wherever they are, you have to be available. You just have to, to be able to deliver to the high standards, you have to be available. If you can't, for whatever reason, you're going to struggle to stay with this team. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed he gets back to full fitness as quickly as possible. Hopefully he feels better soon because he's been a fantastic addition to the club. I'm still convinced there's a top, top, top player in there, but he just has to stay fit. And once he stays fit, he has to get some minutes. And when he gets those minutes, he has to perform. And and so it's a long road back for him. But we'll see. We'll probably find out in the next few days what the situation is with him. Um, and just as we were dealing with that, um, the game was, you know, we were struggling to get a foothold in the game. It was pretty routine opening 15 minutes, I thought. Um, Jesus then had a really good, decent um, attempt on goal. Reese Nelson did well, sort of curled across in from the right. Jesus arriving at the back post. He sort of underhits the shot and uh, the sporting keeper was able to palm it away. But it's one of those where you look at it and you go, oh, just a better connection. And, and that's going in the net, and it would have been a fantastic piece of movement and a fantastic finish. Um, and, yeah, it's 
it's at that point, you know, when, when that chance goes, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we've got them. We're at home. Fan, the fans are, you know, like I said, they're sitting in the air, but the fans are still going. They're sort of trying to get behind the team. Um, Zinchenko's gene up the crowd at varying opportunities. It's, you know, it's, it's a good look. And we get the goal. Martinelli sprints down the right and Jorginho finds him with just the most beautiful raking pass um, through the lines. Sporting defender tries to kite out, can't get there. Um, Martinelli bears down on goal, tries to sort of open up his body and bend it into the far corner. Sporting keeper saves it and Shaka is right there to follow up with a smooth finish inside the post. 1-0, great start. Um, but again... I'm sort of in the midst of being incredibly happy about our start. And I look to my right from where I'm sat and I just see a player sat on the floor and I just, you know, I'm speaking to the people next to me. I'm like, who is that? Who is, who sat down? Who sat, who, 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 who's on the floor there? And someone says to me, William Saliba. And my head is immediately in my hands. My head is immediately in my hands. Um, because for me, this materially changed um, the game and has the impact to materially change the rest of our season. And I'm not being hyperbolic about that. Um, Saliba goes down injured and has to come off. Rob Holding comes on. Um, and I knew this game would be in the balance when that change was made. Um, with Jorginho in front of Holding, um, we know Holding struggles with the way we're now playing. We know he struggles in our system. He looks like a player who knows his skill sets and knows those skill sets does not suit this team's style of play. He looks constantly nervous and borderline scared um, when playing. And that's not an exaggeration. That's not me trying to have a dig. It, it, he genuinely looks scared about making a mistake because he's being asked to do things that his body really can't do. You know, Thiago Silva is a phenomenal centre-back. But if you put him in sort of a defence kind of like Wenger's last few years, he'd be doing 50-yard sprints from the halfway line while getting countered by Danny Ings or Ollie Watkins. It would be a bad look. Holding is a good low-block defender. Um, but I was genuinely concerned about our ability to control the game when he came on. Um, also wonder what we'd do if Saliba was injured for more than one game as in if we lost him for more than just palace i i don't know what um it would look like for us because he does he does tell he dovetails so well with gabriel they cover so much of the pitch they their physical dominance their speed their technical ability on the ball their composure all of that allows us to really dominate you know teams try to put it into a defensive half space. Saliba sprints, wins the ball, gives it back to Ramsdale, calmly and composed, and teams barely try it again for the rest of the game because they know they're going to get no joy out of him. Um, even with the sort of second half of the season where he's looked a little bit more rusty than he did to the first half, he still shuts down so much. For every one time you see maybe um, someone gets uh, gets close to him, there are 15 times where they get nowhere near right so we remember situations like uh ollie watkins uh, against villa you know but we forget all the other times ollie watkins got nowhere near our goal because saliba shut him down um we rely so much on our center backs to control the game and holding just is not at the level so we may be able to skirt, skirt by by one game maybe two games but no more than that after that it will it will come to bite us, as we found out towards the back end of last season. You know, he'll do us a solid, but over in a stretch of games, we'll get exposed because we play a very specific type of football that that he can't do. Um, so fingers crossed that Saliba gets better soon, and it's a it's a matter of days rather than weeks and months. Um, but honestly, there was little else going on in the first half. Um, we gave them way too much of the ball. We lacked way too. We had to way too little control. Um, Jesus had a really good chance on the sort of half hour mark 
looked like his old self. He sort of weaved his way into the box, taking on multiple markers, sort of, you know, before having a good shot and forcing a good shave from the good save from the sporting keeper. Um, genuinely, I can't wait for him to get his first goal um, back in the, the the red of the Arsenal because I do think that will give him a lot more confidence. I think the more minutes he plays, the more he's able to ride challenges, the more he's able to, you know, jink through defences that he'll realise that he's he's okay, he's physically fine. And once he gets that goal, he'll get going again. He's a bit of a streaky striker. So, you know, once he scores one, he'll probably get two, three or four or five within six or seven games before going on another little bit of a drought. So, yeah, the sooner he gets that one, the sooner he gets a few more. Um, but yeah, the lack of control was a bit alarming. Um, I do wonder whether there might be a bit of an issue playing Shaka, Vieri and Jorginho together. Um, the game, this game in particular, due to the lack of control, required a lot of sprinting in both directions, a lot of two-way sprinting. And if we don't have complete control and we lose control, then that requires more athleticism to regain the ball and shut down turnovers and transitions. So in this game, Vieira was losing the ball in key areas and we were losing control. Jorginho was getting bypassed as people were doing shut runs for our midfield. Um, and so we end up having no real control of the game. Now, Jorginho is a brilliant technician on the ball. He's fantastic. Defensively, he's very good at picking people's pockets and getting away with the ball. But when he sort of, when the threat is in front of him, he'll try and sort of lunge to kind of just nick the ball away before giving it to a teammate. If he misses that, he's out of the game. And then they have our entire uh, midfield to run into. Now, this is where having the likes of Saliba and Gabriel becomes important because they can just clean up. But we only had Gabriel. And he was doing his job on his side, but it was just too much space to cover. So, yeah, I do wonder about that midfield. If we're not able to keep complete control, I don't know if that midfield has the sufficient balance in terms of pace and athleticism um, in the middle to be able to kind of help us maintain control. Um, I did think Shaka was really, really good in this game, though. Proper adult, grown man performance, putting himself around, getting on the ball, nutmegs, keeping possession, bringing other players into the game. Um, but he can't do it all himself. And in this game, Vieira was quite poor. And so Shaka was having to pick up a lot of slack. Uh, Martinelli, to the left of him, wasn't having the greatest game. Um, still working hard, doing Martinelli things, but wasn't one of his, you know, real impactful performances. Um, and he was just a little bit off it. Um, so when halftime came round, you know, all that, all I was thinking was, I don't know about you guys, but all I was thinking was, happy it's halftime, happy we're up, one up, but at what cost? Um, knew the game was there for us, but if we didn't step up, they could get us. And just like in the first leg, really. Um, and well, second half started and it ended the way the first half did, with us slightly off the pace. You know, they had chances and both Gabriel and Holding did the well to block shots inside the area. Um, but Sporting were clearly going at us and getting transitions, running in space. Um, and they were really searching for that equaliser. So, you know, we just really just struggled to get our foot on the ball and impose our style of football. You know, movement would break down. We'd, there'd be sloppy passes or, you know, we'd lose a duel or, it, I don't know, it was just a... All the things that make us good, we just were 5, 10, 15, 20% off at varying points of the game. And so around the hour mark, they get their goal. And what a fucking goal it was. Um, ball comes in from long kick. Holding doesn't win his header. We fail to win the second ball. Ball falls loose. Jorginho gets dispossessed on the halfway line. This is another example of him diving in, not winning the ball and being taken out of the game. Um, the ball falls to Pedro Gonzalez. He picks it up, takes a touch, looks up, sees Ramsdale off his line and just thinks, why the fuck not? And he just sends a looping shot over Ramsdale and it falls just under the bar. He was about 45 yards out. And yeah, that phenomenal strike just sent the sporting fans into pandemonium. You know, smoke going off, flares going off. They were having a good time pre-match. They were having a fantastic time throughout the game, even when they were losing. Um, and I've got to say, one thing I do have to say as well is... I don't know how it came across on TV, but the fans in the stadium were really, really good for the entire game. You know, when that goal went in, they started cheering, uh, cheering for the players, cheering Ramsdale, 
um, anytime anything happened and and Sporting looked like they were on the up, the fans got behind the team. Um, so the fans on the night were were really really good. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things that just stunned you a little bit. And don't get me wrong, it was a brilliant finish. And I could say that Holding should have won his header and maybe Saliba would have cut that out or Jorginho shouldn't have been dispossessed and maybe Party wins the ball. But sometimes you just have to applaud the audacity of individual genius. So, you know, Pedro Gonzalez, you know, Chapo, great goal. And yeah, it was a phenomenal hit. Um, it's already been said, but it's very Naeem from the halfway line-esque, you know. Um, that goal haunted me for years. Still does. Still does. But um, this goal won't. Uh, as I said, this is all going in a black box in my subconscious, never to be touched again. Now, Ramsdale did say midweek that he wants to stay at the club for like 15 years and become a club legend. Well, he's emulated an Arsenal legend in David Seaman by getting done um, by a long-range shot from the halfway line by a no-name midfielder. None of us will remember moving forward beyond this one goal. So um, Ramsdale's on his way. He's he's sort of a... He has... He's lived through a rite of passage of Arsenal goalkeepers of getting done by long-range stunners, you know. So, um, yeah, he'll be fine. He joins a long list of of alumni, including Manuel Amunia and Chesney and Seaman. <sighs> anyway, um, the thing is, when the shot happened, right, um, and I, I saw the ball struck, and then, you know, my brain kind of realised where Ramsdale was. There's this moment where sort of your synapses in your eyes communicates with your brain, and your brain realizes what's about to happen and time freezes for like a millisecond and then boom, the ball hits the net and you just cannot believe what you've seen. And it's like, yeah, you it's like having a bit of an out-of-body experience where you're just like, what the fuck was that? Um, yeah, just just one of those days. As I said, there was something in the air that night for real. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't really want to dig anyone out, as I said, for the goal. Um, and I spoke about him earlier, but I, I do want to take a moment to talk about the holding situation because, again, we don't know how long Saliba is going to be out, but it is important to stress. Sometimes when a team improves, certain players get left behind. I remember when City were on their way to the top, they had players like Neda Benua, Richard Dunn, Craig Bellamy, you know, wherever you think of um, the latter as a human being, all three of them find decent players. But they would never stay at City if City, you know, were to go on to do what they went on to do and in fact went on to do and achieve. They got dashed because if you're trying to win the Premier League, if you're trying to win the Champions League, if you're trying to win multiple trophies and be at the top, Richard Dunn and Craig Bellamy are not going to get you there. They're, they're just not. And so you have to move on from them. Um, there have been a few games in the last couple of seasons that have shown how far behind holding slipping from the standards that this team's now setting. Each time he plays significant minutes, bar maybe the 45 minutes against City in the FA Cup, which I think he he did his job, he did the assignment. He looks further and further away from the level. Um, he does his best, fantastic work ethic, incredible human being by all accounts, and this is not slaughtering him or anything like that. This is about levels. It's not about people being rubbish or shit or crap or anything like that. This is about finding your level and applying your particular skill set. Um, he embodies a lot of what um, this club seeks to represent. But it comes a time when you have to recognize that someone is no longer of the level you need. And Rob, my guy, it's it's kind of time. Um, the drop-off between Saliba and him is astronomical. Um, and again, I'm not blaming holding for the re result, but it's just one of those things that just leaps out at you that you just can't not see it. Um, and while I'm not blaming Holding for the result, I do think the result is different if Saliba is not injured in this game. Because um, I just think we maintain more control of the pitch, more control of territory. They have less chance of um, of, of breaking on us and taking advantage of, of loose balls. But that's just a personal opinion. There's no way of actually knowing if that's true. Um, yeah, i, I got to say... You know, that duo of Gabriel and Saliba mitigates so much. They work so well together. Um, 
losing Tommy Asu means we've got very little cover at, at sort of right back and centre back. Kivior still raw, and obviously is cover for left centre back. Um, and yeah, so holding is very much the cover for right uh, for, for right centre back. Now there was a period before the ACL injury where he looked like one of our better defenders. But if you look at how far this team has come in the last few years, um, include some of the football we were playing last season, especially the football we're playing this season, he's nowhere near it. Um, brilliant low block defender, genuinely. And in a team towards the middle of the Premier League or a Serie A team or something like that, he'd look tops. But for a top, top team who wants to control territory and needs their defenders to assist in build-up, play through, uh, play uh, key passes through the lines, you know, make progressive carries and comfortably defend large spaces, um, it's just unfair to him to expect him to be able to do all of that when you know he can't. Um, so... Arteta is usually very on the ball about players that aren't at the level. You know, we can all disagree about certain signings and whether or not you'd go for someone else and blah, blah, blah. He's he's pretty good at determining when someone just isn't at the level. You just have to look at all the plays he's moved on in the last three years versus the plays he's brought in. So I would be amazed if Rob Holding was still here this summer, but he's, you know, still relatively young English, you know, contracts are there. So we should be able to get some decent money for him and he should be able to get a move to a club of his choosing that plays football more to his skill set, which will allow him to show his best self and not expose him time and time again. Um, but yeah, for the for pretty much the duration of the game, Sporting were just sprinting for our midfield, um, which again, when Jorginho plays, if he isn't able to get his foot on the ball and we're not able to control the pitch and the play as a unit, tends to be what, what happens. Um, Arteta responded to all of this by bringing on Saka and Partey, um, but you know, the, the sporting had the wind under their sails as it were, um, our intensity picked up and, you know, we tried to kill the game. They tried to kill the game. They had that chance, of course, where Edwards ran through on goal one V one and Ramsdale saved with his face. Don't think I could have taken Edwards scoring the winning goal, um, in normal time, but yeah, glad, glad, um, Ramsdale's okay. Cause he took that full on in the face, to be honest. Um, Vieira had a free kick that was saved and I think Shaka had a chance at the back post from a corner that he couldn't quite get up for. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it, it that was it for normal time and it went to extra time. Um, Odegaard came on during extra time and made a complete difference to the game. He was geeing up the crowd. You know, he was controlling the tempo. He was on the ball. He was imposing himself. Um, he was doing brilliantly. And it was in stark contrast to the night that Vieira had. Vieira had a very, very poor night. Um, and it's one of those things I keep saying about the fact that Vieira doesn't really impose himself um, as he should um, in games. You saw the authority that Odegaard had when he came on the field. Um, and I don't want to be unfair to Vieira because you can't just expect him to be performing to Odegaard's level immediately. I mean, it's it's he's not at that stage in his development. But it's less a case of saying you need to be as good as Odegaard right now and more saying that you have to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And we know that you're a brilliant technician. We know that you've got a great way of pass, a great you know range of toolkits in your disposal in terms of the types of passes and the type of play you have, good movement, good understanding with the players around you. You can play in small spaces um, and you've got good end product. So we just need you to be more... Um, imposing in terms of getting on the ball and dictating play, really taking control of games, demanding the ball, getting it, moving it, demanding it, getting it, moving it, moving the team around, creating space, creating angles for the pass, shaping your body so you can either, you know, dink the ball through to um, Saka on the overlap or play a floated ball to the back post for the number nine, whatever it may be, but just do more, give more. Um, that person in that position needs to be the person driving the game forward and he just didn't do that. Um, now, for me personally, I always give players one full season before I start to draw any conclusions. So I'm not going to say like he's a busted flusher, he's not going to make it or blah, blah, blah. I just don't think that's the way this works. But he'll know after this season what he has to improve on. Um, he's had times a season where he's had massive impact and he's had a really good end product. He needs to do that, but he also needs to be able to control the game and impose himself. He can't just be a moments player. We need more than that from that position. Um, we need him to take control. Um 
and yeah, had he done that, I think the the game might have turned out a bit different. But it's not on him. It's a collective thing. It's a collective failure. We did have a chance in extra time, which saw Trossard run through on goal. Um, he had a great chance. He pounced on a loose back pass, just you know, straight down on goal, one v one. Um, and at the time, I thought he just scuffed the shot, but it looks like a really good save actually. Um, the ball, the shot saved, rebounds off the post. And it's cleared away. Uh, he scores that. We win the game, no doubt. And it's a shame, really, because it's those, you know, we're all having, um, you know, there's a lot of navel gazing. We're all, you know, speaking to ourselves and thinking to ourselves uh, what it could have been, what this means. You know, we're making judgments on players and deciding who's going to make it, who isn't, who's good enough, who's not. And basically, it was the distance of the width of a post. And we're maybe not having it any of these conversations it's you know no one's questioning whether or not Ramsdale's a good enough goalkeeper because he doesn't save a penalty if that ball goes in and it's a matter of inches and those are the fine margins in football between you know people saying you're the one you're that guy and people saying you're maybe not up to it a matter of inches so what can you do um but yeah the rest of extra time was trash quite frankly, um, you know, just not a lot happening. Again, really impressive Odegaard, how he came on and how he how he comported himself and just the amount, the way he dictated play and how much of a lift the entire uh, team had when he came on, but wasn't enough, went to penalties. And I don't have to tell you what happened there. Um, I know people will be critical of Ramsdale on penalties, but I think it's just important to remember that we don't, you know, we don't make it to penalties without him. We made a couple of big saves during the game. Um, I don't want to see people getting on Martinelli because anyone can miss a penalty. Anyone can. Um, and he'll hopefully be back better and stronger for the experience. Although I'd rather he didn't go for it, but, you know, he, he can. And, yeah, it's just a shame. I do feel like we have a good few decent penalty takers um, in our team. Um, Ramsdale could have done better on the penalty saves. I think he'll know that. It'll probably be something he works on throughout his career. He's still a very young goalkeeper in goalkeeping terms. Nowhere near the sort of peak level, you'd think. Um, not unless he sort of peaks early, kind of like a Joe Hart, but ugh, let's not put that on him. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and assume that Ramsdale's current uh, performance on 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 penalties is somehow indicative of his definitive level. He got close to a few of them. He's got his hands on one of them, and you know he doesn't have that much European experience. This is his first European campaign, um, so by all accounts, his penalty saving record isn't great. But again, I'm not I'm not paying too much attention to that at this stage. Number one, because if we're going out to win trophies, I'm not trying to win those trophies on penalties. Do you know what I mean? So like. If you get to a stage where you get to penalties, then it's a it's a fucking toss up, and you can win it, you can lose it, and obviously it's a skill you can practice, you can get better at. But if you get to penalties, it's still a toss up. There's still so many variables, you know. That's why it's better to win games in 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 the ninety minutes. So, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be too critical of Ramsdale, but that's just where I'm at with it. I can understand if other people are in a different space with it, but me personally, I just I'm I don't have it in me to be critical of him. For us going out on penalties, I just don't see it that way personally. Um, to be honest, if there are a couple of players you probably need to have a think, I think it's um, Smithrow and Tierney for different reasons. Smithrow, um, neither one of them played, of course. Um, the thing is with, with the thing with Arteta, which is quite interesting, is he tries he tries to be cryptic in press conferences, but t- sometimes there are sometimes when Arteta tends to say the quiet part out loud. Um, so, for example, when it was time to negotiate the Aubameyang contract, um, you know, back when Aubameyang was still that guy, um, you know, Arteta spoke very glowingly about how much we rate him, how important he is to the team, how much we need him, how we can convince him that we can go where he wants to go, and blah blah blah. And when it was to decide on this, when it was time to decide on Lacazette's future, it was very much we'll see at the end of the window. Um, which basically meant we're not re-signing him, but I don't want to have this conversation now because I still need him for the next few months and I don't want him to down tools. Um, and I say that, I, Lacazette knew he wasn't re-signing 
we knew he wasn't resigning. So it's not like he was hoping to stay and we said no. I, everyone was comfortable with that arrangement. So, But it was also like when Martinelli wasn't playing and people thought that, oh no, Arteta hates Martinelli. And Arteta came out and said, no, no, no. I love him more than you do. Um, but with Smith, with Smith Rowe, he's basically saying he's got to put the work in to show he belongs. So he's not getting the same kind of glowing positive reinforcement that Martinelli got. It's very much, well, he's got all the talent. He knows we love him, but he's got to show he's available and he's got to show he wants it. And he, he's very much saying what needs to be said out loud because, yeah, Smith Rowe has to do exactly that. Um, he has to... We played a game where we needed a goal and we needed to win and Smith Rowe didn't get on the pitch. And there were other reasons he didn't get on the pitch. I think the substitutions that were made were very much about getting control. And clearly Smith Rowe isn't at a stage yet in his recovery and development where Arteta feels right now he can confidently rely on him to deliver in that way. Um, whereas, you know, players like Partey and Erdegaard, Saka, you know, he, he has absolutely no doubts in his mind that those players are going to help him maintain that control. So Smithrow has to get to the stage now where he's one of those guys in Arteta's eyes again. Um, and that's just going to come from hard work and dedication and staying fit. So we've got 11 Premier League games left. That is enough time for, for Smithrow to, to make himself important again. And look, in the course and the duration of the rest of the season, if Smithrow can have one brilliant game and win us a game, and that's all he does for the rest of the season, it might be enough to help get us over the line in terms of what we want to do this season. So it may be that we don't see Smith Rowe back to his best until next season. But the question is, can he get to a stage where he can contribute enough on the back end of this season to help us achieve something great? And that'll be the challenge. As for Tierney, well, you know, he probably would have played in the first leg had he not been unwell. And he probably should have played in this leg too. Um, and I think he would have played in this leg if we won the last one. Um, and it tells you when push comes to shove, when the manager wants to win, Tierney doesn't play. Um, you want to know what a manager thinks? Look at who he plays when the chips are down. That's That that tells you who he trusts the most. Um, he's another one who doesn't really suit the manager's style, kind of like a holding. Um, not nowhere near, nowhere near to the same extent. Let's not, you know, I'm not comparing the two in terms of their level in this team. I meant doesn't suit in terms of style of football. Um, and Tierney's one who is likely off in the summer. I'm sure he knows it. We all know it. This isn't coming out of nowhere. I think we all can see the the writing on the wall here. Um, it's funny, you know, Tierney wants more minutes and that's understandable, but often he isn't available to play them. So kind of like the first leg, he was unwell. It's not his fault. Odegaard was too. Um, but if we need to rely, if we needed to rely on him, to the degree that he wants us to rely on him, the likelihood is we'd be left on high and dry like we were the previous two seasons when he broke down towards the end of the season. He needs to be more available um, as well as improving his on-the-ball ability and and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, look, we still need him for the rest of the season. He's still going to be massively important for the rest of the season. He's still a brilliant player, a um, fantastic person in dressing room and a player who I really, really like. Let's hope he can help us get to the promised land. Um, because if you're going to cut loose someone like him because you're going to the very, very top, then you need to get to the very top because you don't want to lose players like him um, just to end up back where we were when we signed him. Um, look, Zinchenko is that guy. Whatever you think about loose passes or being defensively suspect, Zinchenko is that guy. Um, but his injury record isn't spotless either. So Tierney still has plenty of minutes left to play um, in the rest of this this season. So let's see what Arteta does to moving forward. But yeah, he's another one. Um, Tierney's another one who will be looking at himself and thinking, didn't get on in this game. We needed to, to do something. What does that mean for me? And particularly with one game a week for the rest of the season, if we're able to manage those minutes well and Zinjeko doesn't get another injury, Tierney's minutes really are reduced to you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes off the bench every other game or every other week. So we'll need him. So let's just hope we can keep him engaged. 
anyway, that's all my thoughts from the sporting game. As I said, done it. It's in a box. It's finished. We are not talking about this again. So, yeah, that's it for part one. Meet you for part two. We'll look ahead briefly to the Palace game in a bit. Welcome back, people, to part two of the Hybrid Club. It's your boy, Caesar here. And we are looking ahead to the game against Palace on Sunday. Now, of course, we came off the back of what I believe is a disappointing result in a competition that I cannot recall against a team that I don't quite remember with an outcome that mm, is just escaping me at this moment. But we do have 11 games left in the Premier League and we are 11 games, well, technically at this point, 10 games, but let's just say 11 games away from um, doing something incredible. These players are 11 games, technically 10, away from writing their names into the history books. And it's an interesting thing, really, when you talk about going for a league title. It's been a very, very, very long time since we've been anywhere close to being um, in the conversation for a title. And often, you know, the previous occasions that people like to talk about, we were out of the title race by February, early March. You know, it's it, it's it's been a long time since we've legitimately been in a title race right up until the final you know, 10 games of the season, whatever the case may be. And yet that is where we find ourselves now. So if these players are able to, you know, keep their nerves, keep their steel and maintain their levels, maintain fitness, maintain composure, maintain focus for 10 more games, that will be the difference between anonymity and infamy. And it's an incredible thing to be on the cusp of greatness and be at that sort of sliding doors moment where it could go either way. And here we are. So all of us are hoping that these players can get the job done, but there's still a lot of football left to play before um, this season is done and the and the, the, the outcome of the league is decided. You know, say what you want, we're five points clear, um, but I still think very much Man City are the favourites. They have a striker who just bagged five goals in one game midweek. They're a team who can go on a relentless winning run, even if they're not the same team they were in previous seasons. They're still an incredible team. They've still got a midfield that can rotate out the likes of Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, you know, Phil Foden, plays like Grealish, Mares. I mean, Julian Alvarez. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible the sound they've got. And we've seen ourselves when we rotate out our starting 11, um, you know, if we were to rate out five, rotate out five or six players from our starting 11, our football changes quite dramatically. They can rotate out, five, rotate out five or six of their starting 11 and they play the exact same way. Now, they haven't been their scintillating best this season, but even in the games where they've been grinding out one nils, you know, two ones, whatever the case may be, they haven't looked like losing. They just haven't been blowing teams away three, four, five nil like they have done, but they've not looked like losing. So for me, Man City, having been there, done that, still the favourites, even if we're five points clear. But it also means that we, if you look at the way we're playing, the results we've had, the performances we've put out, we have every chance of doing it. Um, I said before that I think the the results against Everton, Brentford, and City probably mean that we it's a bit of a long shot and I know that this sounds crazy considering we could go eight points clear but when you look at some of the games we've got coming up the size of our squad and the games the City have coming up points are going to be dropped somewhere we're not going to win 10 games back to back um, we, we've, we've, we've won five on the bounce in the league we're not going to go 15 straight wins I mean I would love it if we did but I think that's unlikely so points are going to get dropped somewhere and all it takes is one loss and one draw and City, City overtake us so we're going to need them to drop points, which is why I say, you know, I do think they're the favourites, but I think we've got it in us to uh, to get it done. Now, of course, pre very much preparing to face Crystal Palace's uh, side on Sunday at the Emirates. Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. I would be saying that, of course, if it wasn't for the fact that he was fired. Um, now, they're not so much looking for a new manager bouncer, so much looking for a no manager bounce. 
which is unfair actually because they're um they've been taken over by their under 21 coach uh, Paddy McCarthy who will be um taking over the game on the weekend but yeah uh, it's a shame to see Patrick Vieira go former Arsenal man um from a sort of perspective it's always good to see more black coaches getting an opportunity in the Premier League um so when one goes it's 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 um yeah it's a reminder of how much more work there is to do in that area but at the same time when you look at the palace results um it's pretty easy to see why they made the decision they made you know if you go that long without picking up points and putting in the performance that they put in there's only a matter of time before uh managers are going to start to have questions asked about them in particular we've got a premier league season where 12 out of 20 teams could potentially get relegated with 10 10 11 games to go and with the kind of investment that's been made across various teams teams like forest palace everton you know these teams are going to be desperate not to go down and so you know these things can very much happen um but that means we're we're sort of going into a bit of a not unknown quantity because we still know the players we still know what they're capable of we still know what they can do but we just don't know how they're going to do it um because we don't know what this manager is going to do going into that game which makes it a little bit a little bit um a little bit tricky to to predict but what we do know is that we can go eight points clear at the top of the premier league if we win against palace this weekend because of course city uh, are playing in the cup and so do not have a league game until after the international break on the 1st of april so the first thing that comes to mind for me when i think about this game is all or nothing we are very much now in a case where all of our eggs are in the premier league basket um we had an extremely comfortable 3-0 win over uh, over fulham last weekend seems like a long way away now doesn't it and the beautiful thing about playing you know every every few days playing twice a week is that there's a quick turnover of games so you can quickly put right a a, a bad performance um and so we have an opportunity to really remind people um just how good we are as i said you know we watched fulham last weekend and it was just we just swatted them away it was a brilliant performance that game feels like a long time ago but if we play on the weekend and we decimate palace midweek will feel like a long way a long way away and we'll be back to you know being in a good place and the benefit is we then have the international break and we should sit on that positive feeling for the international break we can go into that break eight points clear feeling good seeing the games ahead of us and it puts pressure on on city because they don't play till we get back and it puts pressure on them to need to win because you know if they come back and they only manage a draw um in their game back and i think their game back after the international break is against liverpool correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's against liverpool and so you know if they only pull out a draw in that game let's say um you know our lead is seven points um with the same amount of games played and that would be a very very healthy league with you know nine games left to go so yeah we we do need to make sure we make um we take our opportunity against palace um the last, um, well, I think we've scored three goals in the la- in our four of our last five games, I think. Um, so we're getting goals. We're showing we have what it takes to, to dominate teams. And other than a freak wonder goal in midweek that I hear was scored by someone in some game that I definitely didn't attend, um, we've been, you know, we've, we've been uh, not too bad at the back, or at least in most recently so we've got to kind of get back to doing what we do um and yeah that means the run starts now you know i know question gets asked a lot you know when does the title run officially start and while i think generally if there was going to be a consensus it would probably form around after the international break 10 games to go that is a run you know you're five points clear 10 games uninterrupted that's the title run but for me the run starts now because city aren't playing until after the international break so we've got a game up on them the run starts now the players have to recognize the opportunity in front of them it's not always going to fall in your lap in the most perfect way right sometimes you're going to have to grit your teeth get in the mud and fight for it 
And I think that's where we're at. These players would have come into this team and been convinced by Arteta about a project. You know, they did an interview, I think, with James Olley recently where he was speaking and, and mentioned, I think this is phase three of five. I imagine phase three is challenging for the Premier League. Um, I imagine phase four would have been challenging for the Premier League, sorry, and phase five would have been challenging for the Premier League and Champions League. So we're in phase three, but we're ahead of schedule. Um, I think phase three probably was qualify for the Champions League. So it's, it's come earlier than I think the fans and the players and the manager and the execs would have expected, but it's here. And we have phenomenal players like Jesus and Zinchenko, Saka and Erdegaard and Martinelli. You know, we've got brilliant defenders like Gabriel and Ben White and Saliba. Ramsdale's a brilliant goalkeeper, really young, really promising. Um, you know, we've got experienced players like Jorginho and Shaka. And I I can't help but feel like this combination of players who have done so well for the majority of the season are in a final stretch where so much pressure is going to be put on them between now and the end of the season, when in reality, all they have to do is do what they've been doing. You know, they don't have to do anything different. These games will feel different. They'll have a different intensity. Teams who you should beat will become a lot more difficult to beat as the the season runs on. But you do not have to do anything different to what you've been doing previously, which is just going out there, putting your foot on the ball, and imposing your style of play on teams who you are better than. Um, but you have to earn the right to play. You have to go out there and compete and win your duels and win your individual battles and demonstrate why you're top of the league. It's not enough to say, you know, we've got the cannon on our chest and we've been playing well so far, so roll over and give us three points. You have to remind people why you're the best. So your passing has to be accurate, it has to be quick, your movement has to be good. You have to, you know, dominate the space, win those duels, recover the ball, go again, put them under constant pressure. And you need a little bit of luck. You know, spoke about the um, Trossard chance in extra time where basically after the goalkeeper saves it, it's a matter of inches between the ball going in the net and hitting the post. Luck or fortune, if you don't want to use the word luck. I know luck has certain connotations, which makes people think what you're saying is that someone either does or doesn't deserve something. Fortune might be another word. Um, and we'll need some good fortune to get over the line. But these players have it in them to get it done. So let's get it done. Um, so, yeah, I, I for me, I'm, I'm looking at the table and I'm seeing, you know, we've played 27, won 21, drawn three, lost three, scored 62, conceded 25, we're on 66 points. Win this, we're on 69 points. Um, with 10 games to go. That is a healthy, healthy amount of points that I would have done unspeakable, ungodly acts to have gone in the last few years. Palace, on the other hand, 27 games. They've won six, drawn nine, lost 12. They've scored 21 and conceded 34, and they're on 27 points. And, you know, between 12th and 20th, there are five points. So Palace are in the thick of it. They're in the mud which is why they made the decision they made with Patrick Vieira. And we know they have dangerous players like uh, Zaha, Elise, Eze, all, you know, technically gifted, attacking threat, able to cause real, real, real damage. Um, So we'll need to make sure that they are a non-factor. We'll make sure that they have no threat, you know. We'll need players like Jesus to hold onto the ball if, if he plays Trossard. If he plays instead, Martinelli, keep running at them, keep them occupied. You know, have our midfield, our two eight and our, our six, hold on to the ball and control the middle of the middle of the the area to kind of keep that pressure cooker um, contained, so that Palace are constantly under pressure. You know, our defenders to sweep up, regain, retain, recycle the ball, go again. Saka, Erdegaard, those combinations on the right hand side. Do what we do, put them under pressure and we'll be all right. But what we don't want to do is allow ourselves to get isolated. You know, you don't want Zaha isolating Ben White because Zaha is skillful enough to embarrass 
pretty much any fullback in the league one-on-one. So you don't want him one-on-one. You want to make sure, you know, if it's Saka on the right, he's coming back to work hard to support Ben White going up against Zaha so he's not isolated. You want, you know, if it's holding, if it's Saliba, whoever it is on the cover, um, providing support as well. So these are things that we're going to need to do because Palace have been in pretty poor form recently. So it will be an astronomically bad move for us to give them the breath of life after they've been so bad when we're in a position to potentially extend our lead to eight points and put City under a lot of pressure. Um, And look, City are chasing. So while they will feel some pressure in having to chase us, as far as they're concerned, they're going to have that impetus to go at teams and impose themselves on teams and really rough them up in in the running. Um, We now know the Champions League draws have taken place and... Um, you know, City are playing Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals and if they go through, they'll have to play one of Chelsea or Madrid. So they're going to have some tough games in April and May. So we have an opportunity because the Champions League is 100% their priority that as a club, you know, whether or not it's conscious or subconscious, you know, whether it's talked about or not, it's a fact that the Champions League is their priority. And to get to the Champions League, they're going to have to go past Bayern Munich and potentially Real Madrid. Teams who beat Bayern Munich, if you look back over the last 10, 15 years, teams who who beat Bayern Munich tend to go pretty far in the competition. And in recent years, teams who beat Real Madrid win the competition. And there haven't been that many of them because Real Madrid have been hoovering them up in recent years. So City will be well on their way to winning the Champions League if they can get past Bayern and then potentially Real Madrid. I'm not talking about Chelsea because if somehow Chelsea beat, um, you know, somehow Chelsea come through their tie and, and, and you know, beat Real Madrid and make it to a, the Champions League semi-final, then this season is just, you know, I, I don't even want to talk about that. So by all accounts, um, City are going to have a pretty active April and May, while we are playing one game a week. Now, City's squad isn't as deep as it used to be. So the intensity of these competitions and the amount of fixtures they've got may have more of an impact on their squad than it used to. Um, But we don't know that. What we do know is these players are very adept at going deep in the Champions League and also running away with the Premier League at the same time. They've shown they can do both. Not win it, but run, go deep. So while, you know, some of us may be hoping that they'll take their eye off the Premier League and go for the Champions League, they've shown they could do both, um, even if it's cost them the Champions League in, in the past. The hope is that their focus on Champions League means they'll just drop a couple of extra points than they normally do, which will give us just enough of a buffer to get over the line. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, it is very much on us to kind of do what we need to do. Now, for the game itself... Um, we know that we'll be without Tomiyasu, Eddie, probably Saliba as well. Question marks about Zinchenko after the game. I think he was seen holding his hamstring. Hopefully it's just tightness after 120 minutes of running. Um, with Palace, they have no Lokonga, of course, who um, is on loan from us. Um, I believe Will Hughes and James McArthur are out. So, But it looks like they're coming back. Um, so they've got, you know, options in midfield there. They'll be without um, Sam Johnston and uh, Gita. So they have a 19-year-old academy graduate who is probably going to start in goal for them. So on the one hand, you'll have the youthful exuberance and the lack of fear that comes with being a young player playing for your team as an academy graduate. But he'll also lack the experience and maybe on corners and on and, and set pieces, we can put him under a bit of pressure and just sort of, you know, test this deal a bit. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, they'll have Mike, Mark Gahey at the back and uh, Czech Decore in midfield. We play them first game of the season. You know, the 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 broadcasters wanted another Brentford away. We showed them what we were about. This game's at our stadium this time. Um, they come to our house. They come to the Emirates. They come to the carpet. Let's ball them off the pitch. We're better than them. The question is, will we have the fitness and the mental focus or will we still be a little bit scarred um, from the game that shall not be named? 
for that. We'll have to wait and see. For now, though, I'm very happy to never have to talk about midweek again. Um, I'm very much looking forward to getting today over with a weekend of football and then a little bit of a break during to the, um, in terms of during the international break. And during that period, actually, I will finally be releasing the episodes talking about the progress of Arsenal under Arteta and just everything that's happened from um, the end of the uh, the end of the Wenger period to now in terms of the club's progression and how we've got from where we were to where we are, just because I feel like it's an important one. And we'll also finally be doing our, our competition, which will be a giveaway of a free Arsenal shirt to um, a lucky participant in the, in the um, giveaway. So details on that to come in the next episode or so. Anyway, people, that's it for me. It's your boy Caesar here. You know where to find me at CSAs, C-E-A-S-E-S-A-S-A-S. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hardby Club. Um, thank you very much for listening. Please do like, subscribe, follow, retweet, repost, all of that good shit. And yeah, let's hope for another three points this weekend. Make it six Premier League wins on the bounce. Banish any demons from that disgusting, horrible, bullshit tournament that I am fucking delighted to see the back of and hopefully we'll never have to see again for many many years if ever but for now be good to one another people enjoy yourselves enjoy the rest of the the day the evening depending on where you are in the world and what time it is but most importantly just enjoy yourselves people three points come on you gunners you know the deal in a bit people in a bit